chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shagad Yunne. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came to Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the, ocean, the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the internal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging rivers swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his, own, with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come on people invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in my Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places, to the choir master with stringed instruments. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Welcome to Crossbridge. My name is Jeff. Uh, I'm one of the ministers here uh, at Crossbridge. If you're just joining us, uh, we've been preaching through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, these past few weeks. And we find ourselves today at the end of this, this back-and-forth conversation between Habakkuk the prophet and God. So let's take a moment to kind of situate ourselves and, and remind ourselves uh, where, what's happened so far, where we're at. Habakkuk is this prophet who's seen all this injustice and idolatry in his nation among the people of God. He's looking around and he sees that Rons are done and the wicked run rampant. And so what does he do? 
he brings his concerns and his complaints to God himself. Because for, for Habakkuk, he's wondering, is God good when he sees so much evil and suffering and hardship around him? And so he asks God, where are you in all this? Where are you, God? Why, why don't you do something? God says, I am doing something. I am at work. In fact, I will raise up the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, this wicked nation in its own right, and they will come to bring judgment upon the wicked in Israel. Habakkuk then responds, what kind of plan is that? You're going to send the, the Babylonians? They're even worse than we are. They're more wicked than we are. God's response well, they're going to be judged as well. And he tells Habakkuk to write down this vision of an appointed time in the future. And even though that, that time may seem slow in coming, it, it's definitely going to come. It will surely come. And the righteous shall live by faith. Faith in this hope and vision, in part, and this vision of Babylon, who will eventually be brought down. Because even though Babylon is coming in as this wicked nation to punish and discipline the wicked within Israel, they too will answer to God's justice. Despite this seemingly never-ending cycle of violence and oppression, God can actually use it in his sovereignty to bring about the rise and fall of nations. He can use a, a wicked empire like Babylon, but that, that doesn't mean that he endorses it or supports it. Because all nations, including Babylon, are ultimately going to be held accountable to God's justice. God cares about what's going on in this world. Justice will come. It will not be left unanswered. And so we arrive at our passage this morning. Chapter 3 is it's a prayer from Habakkuk. In the first two verses, if you turn, your, uh, turn with me to your Bibles, Habakkuk is, is petitioning God to work in the present in the way that he's worked in the past. And so he says there in verse 2, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, what God has done for the people of Israel, which has been a lot, what he's done for them in, his, in its history has come down as reports for Habakkuk. Reports of when God delivered them from the exodus, from slavery in Egypt, when God led them through the wilderness. Habakkuk has heard these things. He has heard of the work that God has done. And now Habakkuk asks God, do it again. Do it again. In the same way that you delivered your people out from the tyranny of Egypt, I know that Babylon has to come. But may that not be the final word. Deliver us too. Do it again. And then in the midst of this prayer, Habakkuk encounters God in this amazing theophany which he recounts in his prayer in verses 3 to 15. 
A theophany is this appearing, encountering of God, seeing God, much like kind of what we see in, in parts of Exodus, perhaps, when God descended on Mount Sinai in a thick cloud with thunder and lightning and smoke. Habakkuk sees God's majesty, his splendor, his, his glory. And what's the whole point of this? After all this back and forth about what God is doing, what he plans to do, talking about some of these questions the past few weeks, why do we end the book today with this encountering of God? Dr. Arthur said this in a sermon once, and I think it fits well here. We can trust in the person of God even when we can't grasp the plan of God. We can trust in the person of God even when we can't grasp the plan of God. Now, that's not to say that God gives us no explanation for how he works and, and what he does. We, I mean, we saw this in the first two chapters. As God is laying out how he's going to address the injustices and idolatry within Israel, within Babylon. Last week, Elder Chris preached about and talked about how there's going to come a time, that at a point in time when wrongs will be righted, when suffering will end, when justice will come fully. We may not know when that appointed time will be, but we can have assurance that it will come. And this is the impetus behind God saying the righteous shall live by faith. It's not a blind faith. We don't have a blind faith. God has spoken clearly, and, and now it's our response to trust. Trust in what he says, precisely because of who he is. And so I think Habakkuk chapter 3 is kind of refocusing our attention a little bit. It's taking that statement, the righteous shall live by faith, and putting our, our attention on where that faith is. Not just in a plan, not just in answers and, and, and whatnot, but in a person, in, in God, to trust in him. And I think this theophany that Habakkuk encounters gives us two main reasons why we can trust in him. The first is this. The power of God's presence and the presence of God's power. So in verses 3 to 7, we read there, God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And so in these few verses, we read of a couple of different places. And for some of us, they may not ring any bells, but that's okay. Some of these areas actually referred to when God came in the past. When he gave them the law, when he led the people of Israel through the wilderness. During the exodus, when the people of Israel left Egypt, God had led them through some of these places. And so in this theophany, we, we are seeing the work of God in the past. We are seeing God's majestic and glorious, tremendous 
mighty power in making a nation out of the Hebrews, who were once slaves under Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so we get this picture of who God is. He's the Holy One. He's mightily present. His splendor covered the heavens. His brightness was like the light. His power and presence is great. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. His were the everlasting ways. What we see in this first part of this theophany is his power and his presence. And all that helps us to trust in the person of God. And so we can trust in his plan. We can trust that what God says he will do, he will do precisely because of who he is. Because sometimes the answer to all of our questions, some of the questions that we've been wrestling with the past few weeks is not primarily how or what, but who. And the answer is God. See, Habakkuk's prayer emphasizes that at the end of the day, what really matters is who God is. Because fundamentally, when you're, whether you're satisfied with God's answer, depends on whether you're satisfied with God, with who he is. Do you actually see him as faithful? Do you believe that he will be able to bring about what he said he would? And I think in these few verses, the answer is not just yes, it is a resounding yes. Is there someone in your life who you know you can count on? You know, they come into the room and you think, you know, it's okay, they got this. Everything's going to be fine. Maybe it's something trivial, like playing ultimate or basketball after church on Sundays, and, you know, that person steps onto the court or the field, and you're like, it's all good. You know, they got this. You don't, you don't ask them how they will play or, or how they're going to score. You don't need to. You know who they are. So does everyone else. And after a while, someone says what everyone's thinking. Maybe we should rebalance the teams. I mean, I think children too understand this, right? When they get injured, they run to mom or, or dad, and they, they trust in mom and dad. They trust in someone they know is bigger and wiser than they are, who cares for them, who knows what's best. They're not always asking, you know, how their injury is going to get better or, or whatnot, but they just want to know that their mom and dad is there. Likewise, I think it's the same way here with God. And how much more because it is God. God gives us a picture of who he is. I recall some time ago, I was uh, around four or five, a little bit more than some time ago. I had gone to <laughs> kindergarten earlier that day, uh, and one of my friends had brought a stopwatch to, I think, like share share and tell or something like that, uh, the handheld kind, right? The, the kind of stopwatch you might see when you're tracking the 40-yard the dash. I thought it was so cool, and I wanted one. But I was a kid. I had no money, four years old, couldn't buy one, probably too cheap to buy one too. Uh, but what I did have was I, I had my own green Ninja Turtles wrist, wristwatch. And so I figured, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make my own. So I'm at home, grandparents are downstairs, mom is in another room, 
time to get started on my DIY project. Now, in order for me to make my own uh, stopwatch, I had to cut off the wristbands. In order for me to cut off the wristbands, I needed something sharp enough that would do the job. So I went to the desk where my parents did their work, pulled up a chair, climbed on top of the chair, hoisted myself onto the desk, did the little parkour, and, and climbed on these, the, the hutch, these shelves, right? Because at the top, at the very top of the, the hutch, hidden out of reach was exactly what I needed, a letter opener. But this letter opener was different. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those plastic ones. It was one of those ones that was basically in the form of a small Chinese dagger or sword, basically a, a sword, <laughs> sharp as I needed, right? That's why I was out of reach, because my parents are responsible. Um, so I grabbed the dagger, unsheathed it, stood there on top of the desk, a dagger in one hand, green Ninja Turtles watch in the, in the other, and I began to, to slice away at the wristbands. Except what my four-year-old mind did not comprehend and plan ahead was that these rubber wristbands were really slippery. And before I knew it, I had stabbed myself in the hand. I promise I have more stories than just me getting hurt, but we're, we're preaching through a sermon series on suffering, so that's what you're going to get. So the, the dagger went two or three inches into my hand. I still have a scar. Uh, and slowly now, dagger still in one hand, watch in the other, blood everywhere. And my four-year-old, five-year-old self is hysterical. Mom comes in to see what the commotion is about. She's tending to my wound. I'm crying and, and tears are flowing down my face. And I'm repeating one thing over and over again in, in half Chinese, half English. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. My grandfather comes up to see what the commotion is about, and he hears me in my broken Chinglish saying, saying that I want something. And he thinks it's me saying I want soda, because I guess with me crying and muttering, maybe the Chinese word for soda sounds a little bit like the English word Jesus. I don't know. At the very least, a four-year-old asking for soda after an injury makes a lot more sense. So he keeps telling my mom to go get me soda. My mom keeps reiterating to him, no, he wants Jesus. He wants Jesus. So I guess what, what mattered to me most in that moment, right, was the presence of Christ, the assurance of God, simply that knowing that he was there, that here was this powerful, personal, present God, and he's got this. And yes, we had to deal with questions of whether I should go to the doctor to get stitches, which I didn't and how long I had to hold the paper towel there to, to stop the bleeding. Uh, but really when it came down to it, my base instinct as a four-year-old kid was to want Christ himself. When Habakkuk receives this theophany, it is God's answer to Habakkuk's petition in verse 2. For God to repeat his mighty acts in the past. His answer in the first part is who God is. He is present, and he comes in power. And because of this, we can trust in the person of God, even when we might not be able to fully grasp his plan. 
He gives us a glimpse of that. We, we know that, that justice will come, that wrongs will be righted, that suffering and hardship will end. But really, more importantly, why we can trust in that is because of who God is. Here's a second reason that Habakkuk gives in this prayer. God who worked in the past will surely work in the future. In the second half of the theophany, it's this, he's drawing upon the past exodus. He's using all this language uh, that reminds us of when God worked to bring about the deliverance for Israel from the tyranny of Egypt. And it becomes this image of a future exodus. That not only did God crush the head of the house of the wicked, he says, and that he's referring to Pharaoh there, alluding to Pharaoh there, but this theophany provides assurance that God, too, will redeem his people and would crush the head of the house of the wicked no matter what nation. Wrongs will be righted, and justices are not left unanswered. Justice will come. Because God is present, and he cares, and he's at work. And verse 13 reminds us why God is coming. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. God, who worked in the past to deliver his people, will surely work in the future to deliver his people. So by the end of Habakkuk, he has this encounter with the one true and living God. He has seen his power and his might, his glory, his majesty. And everything else fades into the background in light of that. Because if this is who God is, then what God does, what he plans to do, what he says he will do, will come to pass. He will be faithful. The wicked within Israel that is responsible for so much violence and injustice and oppression and suffering, they will be held responsible. They will be disciplined. Even if it is at the hands of another wicked nation, Babylon. Because Babylon too will not escape judgment. And for Habakkuk, after having received this vision of an appointed time, after hearing that the righteous shall live by faith after encountering God personally. Who, and this adds so much weight to what has been said. Habakkuk then is left with this response. And it's this. Wait patiently and rejoice in the Lord. Wait patiently and rejoice in the Lord. So this means two things. One, we respond with persevering patience. He prays at the end in his response, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. What he's getting at here is, is trust. To wait patiently is to trust in God. He asks God, do it again. Do it again. That is renew the works that you did with Israel during the Exodus. You know, I know Babylon has to come in judgment. But let not that be the final word. Deliver us too. Let not suffering and hardship and violence and oppression and injustice be the final word. And God responds with a vision of who he is and what he did, what he will do. 
Habakkuk doesn't get an answer, nor do we get an, uh, an answer about when, but only that it will happen. And we can trust that it will. And so his response is, like ours, to per- persevere in patience and trust. My, uh, one of my friends used to say this in, in college, when I, which I think is pretty apt for this passage. Perspective of the whole gives perseverance through the parts. Perspective of the whole gives perseverance through the parts. Look at what Habakkuk is saying. Right? I, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He, he knows Babylon's coming, but that's not the final say. He, he knows what the ending is like. God has spoken. He knows that Babylon, too, will be punished for its wickedness. That injustice anywhere and everywhere will not be left unanswered. And that gives him an entirely different perspective now to view his own suffering, his own hardship, his own difficulties, and likewise with us as well. Let's put it kind of this way. Today's, today's a Super Bowl, if you didn't know. Uh, there are... Uh, People, maybe not people in this room, who are heavily invested in watching this game. Uh, It will be nerve-wracking for some of them. Every point given, every missed opportunity, every turnover. Now, what if they knew the outcome of the game? What if they knew that their team was going to win in the end? That changes everything, right? It changes their attitude. It changes the way they look at every fumble, every turnover. It'll be okay. Now, for those of you who are into football and, and fans of the Patriots, you know, when they were down 28-3, the Falcons, the Super Bowl, how did you feel? Did you have a knot in your stomach? Were you celebrating? <laughs> did you want to throw up? Did, uh, were you quiet? Were you like, oh, no. You know, I remember afterwards there were these, these highlight videos that came out of the comeback. Right? It showed the Patriots' frustration as they were down by a lot. It, it showed uh, the score as they were racking up the points. But watching those moments was different. Right? Rewatching some of those plays was different because you knew what was coming. It wasn't, oh no, it was, oh yes. <laughs> Likewise, God ha- God's told us the outcome. He's shown us who he is and what he will do. And because of that, we can respond with persevering patience. Likewise, too, we can also respond with determined joy. Verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off in the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now when Habakkuk is, is praying, he's responding by saying he will rejoice in the Lord. But, but he He says it in such a way that is underscoring his determination to rejoice. It's a determined joy, which is fitting particularly because of the circumstances. 
Right? Though the fig tree should not blossom, we have agricultural disaster, we have economic disaster, and yet he is determined to fight for joy, to be joyful and to rejoice and be glad in the Lord in all circumstances. And I think this is particularly important for us today when we consider that one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is to rejoice. And now when you think about it, this is a command not simply just telling us what to do, but how to feel. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to do something, right? To have a command, you know, read your Bible or go to church, you know, that, that, that's tangible, right? We can, we can get into our car and, and drive to a location. But a command to feel? We can't always turn our feelings on and off like a light switch, right? And yet God is calling us to take control, to direct our feelings towards joy in him. To put ourselves uh, in a position to, to view God and allow that to, to motivate us. Put us in a position to, to, to have joy in him. Now joy is not easy, easy especially when we endure hardships and encounter suffering. But like Habakkuk, who in his response, he becomes the example of that phrase, that, that verse, the righteous shall live by faith. Let us, too, be determined to rejoice in God because of who he is, because of the salvation, the good news that he gives us, and to see him as our strength. And knowing we can do so because he is faithful. He was faithful in delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. He was faithful in delivering us from slavery to sin. And he will be faithful in delivering us when Christ returns. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for who you are. That you are powerfully present and you also come in power we give thanks that you care so much about us you care about this world you care about the suffering the brokenness that we are endearing we give thanks that that will not be the final word so we look forward to the day when you return and you make all things new and you redeem us and you redeem this world. And in the meantime, help us to respond with persevering patience, to respond in joy no matter what we might face because of who you are and what you've done. In Christ's name we pray.